Hello, I'm Gareth. And I'm Shane. And welcome to Building Business Resilience. This is the podcast from Sanctuary Financial Planning, which helps growth business owners and social media influencers achieve financial independence. We're two passionate financial planners on a mission to seek out new ideas, tips and tricks to help you take control of your finances and run better businesses. We delve into the true goals and aspirations of our guests in order to provide you with some real value and positivity. Nothing outrageous, clear, simple, solid financial solutions. We also have a YouTube series to accompany this and details will be at the end of the show. So let's move on to our guest. Episode 20 in today's show, we're going to be talking to Harry Coleman. Harry is director of Fabric, the care leavers community. Fabric's mission is to ensure that care leavers are not defined by their start in life. Fabric kids will know that they love. Fabric kids will have opportunities, potential, control over their lives. Harry's extremely passionate about what she does and what Fabric stands for. This may be her first podcast, but having known Harry for a short time, this is going to be a fun one. So without much further ado, let's get started. Hi, Harry. How are you? Uh, I'm good today, thanks. It's Monday. <laughs> start of the week. Gotta love it. Happy Monday, everyone. Does it matter what day is the week it is at the moment? I thought they all just blended into one. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm still trying to do the whole at least save my Sunday so that I'm into work mode on Monday. I've, I've tried that lately. It seems to be working. Really psych yourself up for a Monday start. Yeah, definitely. People seem to be hanging, having hangovers on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays now, and you know. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of that. I think that I think it's the the there's definitely a lockdown excuse that drinking is acceptable every night, but um, I'm not a big drinker, so I don't <laughs> I don't suffer with that. I'm afraid. Even people having um, you know, the, the nibbles and the chocolates and the bad food that that just doesn't go now on a Friday and Saturday. You know, it's the weekend. Let's have some you know chocolate. It's like ah. Oh. What's in, the, what's in the fridge to eat? Oh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go out to uh, to the shop. You know, it's in lockdown. It's it's a it's a danger to the family. We'll just have um you know Cadbury's cream eggs for dinner. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely chocolate intake is up, but my chocolate intake is usually quite up. <laughs> <laughs> keep keep the sugar levels high. Yeah. How's lockdown been for you? Garden renovations, anything like that? Uh, well, I 70% painted my fence. I had um, a week where was, I... Was that in March? Yeah. I, I think it was about kind of like a, end of April where I was desperately seeing everybody else doing their projects. And I, I was like, I, I know I've got no time, but I must paint my fence. And then I ran out of paint and I couldn't get it anywhere. And it's now the 1st of August and I still haven't been able to get it. So I still have a 70% painted fence. Um, so if anyone out there has got any uh, slate garden fence, <laughs> send it my way. Well, what colour was it before and what colour is it now? And is there a massive was, difference? Yeah, it was a it was a grotty green and and now it's quite a quite nice slate. The bits that are painted are quite nice, but um I'm every time I went into the shop they were out and they've had nothing in. So and then I gave up. So to be honest with you, I should probably go shopping again, but you I think I lost, lost the painting mojo. You haven't made the mistake of basically leaving that 30% in, in view of, you know, eye line just outside the window, or is that 30% around the corner? That you no, it's in, the, it's in the corners. Ah, yeah, it, it never corner. needs to be done. Wait. If you squint, you can't really tell. Yeah, the rest of it will be fine for five years. In five years' time, go back and finish that, that other uh, piece. <laughs> Some people call that art and design, though, don't they, if you've got a contrasting colours? No, it does look pretty scruffy, to be fair. <laughs> 
Oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, so that uh, we'll, we'll start into it. So Director of Fabric, Care Leavers Community, t- tell us more about that, Harry. Yeah, so what we are is we are an organisation that provides uh, uh, loving homes with trauma-informed relational-led support uh, for children um, moving towards leaving the care system. So that's for 16 to 19-year-olds. Um, we have homes at the moment based in Swansea and East Port Talbot. They're very much set up, I guess, like uh, student slash shared living. Um, so own bedrooms, uh, but shared facilities. The difference is that um, the standard on them is high quality as opposed to maybe some some of the older student type homes. And I know that in, recently I've seen a lot of fantastic projects popping up for students. But I think some of the, the older styles, maybe the ones that I definitely lived in. Um, we're not that nice. Uh, so kind of high quality, homely feel. Um, but we have staff on site 24 hours a day, um, to support them to develop the skills they need, uh, to learn to, to live in the adult world by themselves. Cause unfortunately, um, at around 18, uh, they become independent for themselves, uh, financially, um, because they would move on to either working for themselves or uh, being supported by universal credit. Uh, so our job is to, uh, as much as possible, uh, get them ready for um, the adult world, really. Wow. So, so they, they only go in to those places at age 16 and it's a 24-month window to train them up. Um, and then at 18, unfortunately, they have to go out and... and f- fend for themselves um they can only come into ours because we're not uh, we're not a children's home so yeah. we uh, we can only take from age 16 onwards and we wouldn't really want to take any younger than that because the type of environment we are you know because it is kind of semi-independent so we do with not for so we provide support not care so um you know we don't wash your clothes for you We'll show you how to use the washing machine. You know, we won't cook your dinner for you, but we will show you how to make a spaghetti bolognese. So any younger than about 16 wouldn't really feel right with what we're trying to do. Um, They can stay post-18 if the local authority will um, fund that. So we we try to offer it up until the age of 19 because, um, you know, I feel very, very strongly that, um, you know, the care system as it is isn't, fit for purpose uh, yeah. most you know the average person I think years ago they did a survey the average person leaves home at 25 so you know there was already a big age gap if you look now at, at, at kind of in 2020 I think the statistics would probably show it's even even higher you know yeah. I, I you know I've got friends that live at home 29 30 31 um, so that disparity um, is evident in the fact that they have to become independent at 18. Also, because of their experiences in, in childhood, often developmentally, they're younger than their chronological age. So we kind of got a system that's expecting more of those that maybe have less in the first place. Um, so we've ex- recently, mainly due to COVID, but also due to the fact that we've... Um, you know, we've had some fabric kids that have needed that bit past 18. We've extended the age range to up to 19. Um, and at the moment, we're trying to look at, is there a way that we can um, 
providing fabric type provision, but for um, 18s and over. Um, so very early stages of that because yeah. um, because funding will be the, the the main difficulty around that. But there's um, there's definitely a need, um, and we love what we do. Yeah, so you said there, Harry, the the difference in the almost the physical and emo- emotional age. Is there a massive difference between a sixteen year old? And an eighteen-year-old. I know that sounds a crazy question, but like in terms of their development and stuff like that, are you very young at sixteen to be living with an eighteen-year-old? Is, is there a, a huge? It's really more down to do with the um, the individual in question. So you know, as we all know, um, you can meet some people that are very, very mature for their age, and at twenty-five can come across like they're thirty-five. You meet somebody who's in their forties, still acting like they're in their twenties. So it is very, very individual. I would say that there's um, there is something in those teenage years. So you see a you know a real big change in that kind of age range, sixteen to eighteen. Um, one of the reasons I'm really drawn to working with that age range is that. There, there's a huge amount of development in, in the brain around those ages. So it's a really good um, kind of age bracket to try and get in there and give them the support they need to, to start making you know positive choices if they're not making positive choices or to support them to continue to do it or to give them yeah. options. Maybe, you know, in some cases, even to be the first person that's ever... Um, giving them some motivation inspiration because the problem often with the, the care system is we get kind of predefined um, expectations on children leaving care. So uh, some they've had, I think it might have been Bernardo's, don't quote me on that, um, but they did a, sur- uh, one of the big charities did a survey about um, where the support is aimed at and something like 70 to 80% of um, the people interviewed had received support in terms of how do they claim benefits, but a much lower percentage had received support around, well, how do I apply for a job? Um, so it's about where you pitch things, isn't it? Because if the, um, yes, people need to know about the finances because they're not going to get to stay at home with mum and dad. So they do need to understand how they make their um you know, appropriate uh, claims for support, but they also need to be given the support in terms of, well, if I don't want to only be um, supported by universal credit, how do I uh, get um, a job? How does that work? What are the soft skills I need? And if you only point in one direction, it kind of leads people to believe that that's the only direction in which they can go. Yeah. Um, So for us, what we kind of, uh, one of our aims is we want, um, equal opportunities for care leavers. So, you know, you can never guarantee equal outcomes because you could put two people in the same, you know, childhood with exactly the same experiences, although that very rarely happens. But, you know, you could put two people in that kind of thing and they'll still end up with different outcomes because that's the way, that's the way it works, isn't it? We're all individuals. But to, to have equality of opportunity um, and that that's a that's a huge ask because you know the the circumstances are, are, are quite different for a lot of children that have been in the care system, but that equality of opportunity is what we're looking for. So just because you're um, you've been in the care system or you're about to leave the care system doesn't mean that when you're 16 you can't live in an environment that as much as possible gives you um, that feeling of being home. 
So we work, we use words that are often not used in this age range. So we use family, we use love, we use hugs. They're all words and actions that we we use in our organisation because, you know, one of the most fundamental things that people want in life is to feel loved. You know, that it's an, it's an intrinsic in us. And we, we wanted to create an environment where our our kids know that they are loved regardless of what's going on for them, regardless of what they've been through difficulties. They're in an environment where they're loved so they can walk out the front door in the morning and they can say, see you later, love you, bye. And and, and they'll get the staff member say the same thing back. Um, but, and that's important to us because we don't want to do hands-off support. Yeah. We, we want people to feel like they have a connection that kind of relational led work it's our relationships that help build our resilience and get us through the difficult times obviously covid has shown this in in kind of how much people are missing that face to face how much they are missing being able to give their nan a hug or you know popping into their mums for a cup of tea if they've had a bad day at work um and that's the kind of the fundamental thing to fabric is that we want those people the, the fabric kids that we support to know that they have that and it's regardless of you know what you know label that they've got attached to them it's a big so i, I guess the big thing is the emotional and behavioral side of it then you really kind of push i guess on that the, yeah. the bit that they've missed really I mean, for us, and some of them won't have, um, because, you know, all of the individuals, you know, everybody's individual journey is different. Um, But for us, so we work with the, um, uh, we integrate an approach called the trauma recovery model. So we take parts of that uh, model into the approach we work because it kind of aligns with what we want to do. And that's all based very similarly to kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which obviously says you've got, your, you know, your fundamental things and then you build up. And they're yeah. kind of the fundamental things, the, you know, the most core foundations are about developing trust in relationships with adults, you know, we, we need to provide an environment where our fabric kids feel that they can trust us and develop that uh, relationship with us because you can't really give somebody that effective support mm-hmm. if you don't have a relationship with them. And, and often what happens for, you know, for some, you know, some fabric kids or young people is that they've been in you know, care for a sustained period of time. They've had potentially numerous uh, foster placements, potentially numerous um, uh, uh, social workers, YPAs, professionals involved with them. And it's quite hard then to develop trusting relationships if you think, oh, I'm going to have another worker again soon. Um, It can be done because you can do really good work, um, short-term periods of work. But when you're living in in an environment you kind of want to feel safe there and if the people that you are living with the staff that are supporting you give you an you know an environment in which you feel safe secure relaxed then it's a good starting point from which to build um, and move forward so for us we kind of don't focus on things like um, getting them into education training or employment when they first move in you know if they're already doing it great fantastic but if they're not 
it's about making sure that they have the the fundamentals before you're doing things that are much more cognitive because working with somebody on going to school or engaging in education or getting a job is a cognitive function. And if you haven't got, um, for example, a, a, a routine around going to bed, if you haven't got um, a routine about eating, you know, if you haven't got good sleep, you know, we know for most of us that work, we go to bed at a certain time, we get up at a certain time because that allows us the 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 capacity to manage work the following day you know if you have a really bad night's sleep we know how that impacts on it so if we've got people that are in a consistently poor sleeping patterns uh, bad eating uh quite uh tempestuous relationships etc it's it's really difficult to engage at that higher level yeah. So the what we're focused on is actually individual needs. So not everyone is different. Not everyone is the same, and kind of focusing on that bottom bit first, and then we can we can move up with the the more cognitive, the the higher levels later on. Maybe over COVID, has most people forgot about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and they're they've been more concerned over the years of the flash holiday, the the blingy watch, and all of that, and they they've taken for granted the parents, their brother, the sister, the family, the friends. And when they can't have it for the last few months, they've realized, well, it's not about the flash car or all the money because all the money in the world over the last few months couldn't buy you some things that you actually needed, i.e. going to see family and friends, I suppose. So you, you, people yeah. be, you're dealing with that all the time. It's only now that the the outside world has has seen what it's, it's like for people uh, that you're, you're with uh, all the time, I suppose. Yeah, and I think, you know, you ne- for me, I never escape it because I, I'm constantly, you know, we, children who've been in care have come from, in the majority, quite difficult backgrounds. Um, and sometimes there can be a lot of judgment on the backgrounds that they've had or, the, or, the, or their parents. And for me, I, I, you know, I can understand an immediate emotional reaction to, to hearing, you know, what somebody's parents were like. But for me, it goes back to, again, that um, equality of um, opportunity. And when people haven't had equality of opportunity and they haven't had, um, you know, themselves parents that were supportive, um, family members and income, all those things that often a lot of us take for granted because there are standard everyday things that exist. You know, I'm 35 and my mother still messages me every day. Um, And if... COVID had wiped my, uh, you know, my business out and I needed money, I could have gone to her. Yeah. But there are some people that don't have that to go to. You know, care experience people that aren't the age that we deal with. I've got friends that are care, care experience that don't have what I've got. And I think that sometimes helps us ground. Because we all, you know, we all aspire to things. You know, we all do it. We all aspire to the nice holiday or that new pair of trainers we want because I love trainers um but we all but we all are learning if we didn't already know through COVID that that really isn't um what makes the difference it's not the and I say you know I do say it to our fabric kids it's not the stuff that they're given in in terms of monetary value it's that time isn't it though that you know we still get um fabric kids that live with us when they were 16 when we first opened so that's four years ago that are that are 20 and i still get text messages off them now when i go for a for a coffee to have a catch up with because they know they can do that and that 
that to me is why I know that we're doing what we set out to do because we're building those sustainable relationships that if they know that they haven't got anywhere else to go um, for whatever reason, whether it's they're short of food or they're just having a really bad time because let's face it, COVID is not fun for those people who've got lots of people to text, let alone those people who haven't, that they've got somewhere to go to. And I think hopefully, you know, COVID has been, you know, very difficult for numerous different ways for most people. But maybe one of the things that we can all take away is that it's reminded us about, you know, the true value of what's in, important in life. And, and most of that is kind of health and relational led, not uh, monetary and status led. You can't, you can't buy friends and happiness. No, uh, you know, and you, you know, you can't. You you might be able to buy fake friends and things that make you happy for a very short period of time, but that kind of general contentment with who you know what you've got in your life it, that that comes from within, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, t- tell us a bit about your journey, where you are now. Uh, so, in terms of where we're in 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 COVID, or in terms oh, of how I, we've got here, I guess wh- how you got to where you are. I guess. Yeah. What's your journey been? Um, I my, my journey. So I am a social worker by background, um, and I went into that um, probably because I grew up in an environment that was very much around. It, it's not uh, what you look like or the clothes that you wear that is important, but who you are as a person and what you bring to the world. So I guess I always always had and sometimes it really annoyed me that having to want to do something good I just sometimes it's annoying um but both my parents were psychiatric nurses and uh my dad was an advisor for Welsh Assembly Government and a program lead at the local Sondi University and when I was at uni uh when I was 21 my dad died after a period of being um ill for quite some time and at the time I was doing a media and marketing degree and I really enjoyed elements of it. I'd always enjoyed elements of it, but I kind of felt, well, unless I can guarantee that I can go in and do the marketing for Bernardo's or NSPCC, which is quite, you know, a niche element, then probably not quite that easy to guarantee. Then I knew I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to sell Coca-Cola to children was kind of my viewpoints on it, not that there's uh, that I have a strong viewpoint on what other people do. Um, and I kind of, when my dad died, I kind of sat and thought, what did I want to do? And I felt really strongly that I probably wanted to follow his path in terms of making a difference, I guess, and helping people. And knew I wasn't going to be very good in the medical profession because I'm really squeamish. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, one of my dad's friends, uh, who I used to call Auntie Vi, was a social worker. And I thought, oh, that sounds good. Never heard of it before. Don't know how. Um, and I've always loved children. I'm kind of the Pied Piper for um, my friends' friends' kids, probably because I am one big, giant child myself. Um, and I went to uni to do that. Um, and when I qualified, I went into child protection which is a really difficult arena. It's kind of where most newly qualified end up. This is where most of the jobs are. Um, but it's a really difficult arena. I had a fantastic team, but I realized really, really quickly that I, um, my desire to do the best that I could do, which is kind of one of my flaws, I think, because I always want to be do the best. And 
I found it really difficult because you're understandably working with a system that's very overstretched. And yeah. so you trying to do your best is, is nigh on and always going to be impossible. Mm. Um, you know, you, you have to learn to what is good enough to allow you to do what is good enough for all of the people on your caseload. So, and allow you to manage your own health. And I kind of took a little bit of a break uh, to, to go and think about what I wanted to do in the long term. And I kind of came back and went, I'd actually like to go and try different areas of social work because I'd only done the child protection, um, which is an, an incredible job. And those people who do it are uh, superheroes, in my opinion. Um, but I, so I went away and I came back and I tried lots of different areas and I stumbled across a job working with teenagers um, and I loved it. And I realized that although I love working with every age range of children, there's, there's certainly a niche in working with teenagers um, and some, something that I really tr- truly felt that you are able to be 100% you with them because they can see straight through. <laughs> They can see straight through if you're trying to be anything other than you. Um, I enjoyed the banter. Um, I enjoy the fact that you are, it's, it's a different kind of challenging. So in child protection, you're working with um, risks that other people are placing on smaller children. And when you work with teenagers, sometimes a lot of the time you're working with maybe risks that they're doing. And it's that's a real challenge in itself because you know, you've got to, you're trying to work with people to learn how they're putting themselves at risk, etc. Um, I loved working with them, but again, I just felt really strongly that the, I wanted to work with a smaller number of cases so I could do much more intense work. Um, I'd seen a provision in Cardiff that was doing really good work, and I thought. Um, because I was driving at the time, I was agency worker commuting to, I think that that was Cardiff. I'd done Bristol before that and and Barry afterwards. And I kind of thought, I really want to do something for my local community where I get to work with a smaller number um, of uh, young people and I get to make a, a, a bigger difference on a day-to-day basis. That's not to say what people do um when you're managing bigger cases doesn't make a difference because it does but I felt felt on a day-to-day basis I wanted to be able to really give that time uh so that, that I could see the see the seeds that we were sowing uh so I kind of at that point I just randomly started having conversations with people about the ideas that I had um because I don't come from a business background I come very much from um a background of people that work for, um, you know, the NHS, etc. cetera. Um, didn't have a clue. I never, didn't really know anyone that owned a business. Um, and it were, you know, really close people. I, none of my friends' parents owned them. So for me, it was a, it was a, oh, I really f- fancy doing this, but I didn't really know anything about owning a business. So I started making, I guess, connections, that networking thing that we all talk about was fantastic and people started pointing me in the right direction and it kind of went from there. Um, and I spent, I think that was 2014, I had the kind of first inklings of the idea. Um, and I spent the next 18 months getting <laughs> knocked down um, when trying to find out ways of getting the money. Um, and yeah, we finally opened then in, in 2016 with the help of um, the Wales Council for Voluntary Action and um 
business uh, finance Wales. Yeah. Uh, Development Bank for Wales, they're called. Yeah, yeah, Development Bank Wales now. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, a really hard job, and and there are easier jobs out there, and a lot easier. So it's 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 on. You can sense the more the motivation, the power, the passion, but but what's 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 the motivation or driver for doing it? It's not easy, and there are times when <laughs> I would give anything. I pay you to have it, basically. Numerous times a week, it actually changes on an hourly basis. Sometimes, um, I think I've always been quite a hard worker. I think that was instilled in me, and I kind of really do believe that nothing that's worth having is easy. You know, there's cold quotes around that, but I kind of do feel quite strongly. Um, about that um, and I guess it's well why not me I guess we could you know I could sit there and go well the system isn't providing this or you know the system doesn't work um, but I think you know you've seen what happens in COVID when you hit with a pandemic the amount of people that go and they want to make a difference and it's because um, we often live in our little bubbles don't we yeah. the bubbles are the lives we that we have and I think um, once you have your eyes opened to something, or certainly for me, I can't um, switch my mind off to it. Uh, I think if I was in school now, I'd probably have an, a diagnosis of ADHD or, or or something along those lines. I have an incredibly busy, busy brain. And so the working hard bit doesn't really bother me. The motivation is that I just feel really, really strongly that if it's not good, if it wouldn't be good enough for my kids, why is it good enough for that kid? And that we live in a society where there are an awful lot of things that are problematic within society. It's an awful lot of fantastic things, but um, issues in terms of uh, mental health and substance misuse and, um, you know, children being brought into care because of um, situations have become unmanageable. You know, not we're seeing changes, but we're not necessarily seeing like, wow, you know, 50% drop in mental health or, you know, 50% drop in, in poverty, etc. Um, and I think that we have an opportunity with teenagers. We have a real opportunity with those children that have been in the care system to improve their outcomes. Because if we improve their outcomes, then we've got a chance of improving things in society. Because if our children that are in a care system get the right support and they um, learn ways to develop positive, um, stable mental health and they develop uh, positive mechanisms for dealing with the trauma that they've experienced so they they're not misusing substances um and if they are supported to get uh jobs which mean they're not reliant on universal credit because let's face it we've just seen universal credit increase uh, in covid well if it's had to increase during covid then to me the implication is that it wasn't actually possible to live on that before covid mm. You know, I think that's yeah. a relatively fair assumption. You know, we're seeing all these new things now, aren't we, about pushing um, to get rid of it, obesity in society because, you know, of COVID, let's let, you know, we've got a fat shaming going on. Whereas the reality is that obesity is hugely linked to um, uh, financial inequality, isn't it? 
you know, yeah. less fit. You can buy you can buy your pink lady apples for £2.60 and get four of them. Or you can get a big bag of chips and some chicken nuggets, probably some pop and crisps for the same amount of money. Yeah. Um, so I kind of feel very much that once my eyes were open to that, I wanted to be a part of the solution and that by being a part of the solution and maybe creating a better future for the children that I might have one day. I don't know. Maybe that's it. Yeah. I, yeah. I jump, I jump in with the chips there, but that 20 minutes of pleasure, you know, it, you know, isn't great for you in terms of eating the four apples. I get it. But um, uh, listen, I like chips. <laughs> I had chips on the weekend, but I think it's the difference between yeah. having chips because you want chips yes. and, because and picking best. chips because you've got four mouths to feed and yeah. that amount of money. Um, and I think, you know, if we can start improving things for our younger generation in terms of, and not just caregivers, our young, because the younger generation are going to, you know, are uh, again creating the future, aren't they? I firmly oh, believe yeah. that the youth are the future of tomorrow's society. If we can start improving things across the board in terms of mental health, education, health, and fitness, um, you know, but you know, healthy body image, then we can move away from that over reliance because we tend to have a, a system where we take what I call the stick in plaster approach. So we, we put all these things in, you know, amazing services, but we're putting them in place. And what we need is more earlier intervention. We, you know, we, um, we need to, there we are, there's typical podcast doorbell. Um, <laughs> they're going to have to, Amazon delivery of chocolates. <laughs> yes, that's my chips on order. Um, it's, it is lunchtime, five to midday. Whoops. It's not chips, I promise. Um, let me just let them think there's nobody here. Um, we, yeah, if we keep sticking plasters over stuff rather than going, actually, what is, what, what's going to help? So if we took more trauma-informed approaches to working with people, if we um, took less fat-shaming approaches to losing weight and more let's find ways of making healthier food cheaper, then we might actually see bigger positive change. Because yeah. when, we, when we live in, yeah. in systems that... Uh, kind of uh, divide people or make them feel bad. I don't, you know, tell it if you know if you were to tell somebody, excuse me, you're fat. I don't think that, or excuse me, you know, you've got a men. I don't think they'd say excuse me, but you know, when you're pinpointing somebody for for something in a negative way, that's surely that's just going to knock somebody's self esteem and make them feel worse. And and most of the time, m- most people have a um, a form of I, I saw a really interesting article the other day about self-harm and how that most people have a f- version of self-harm it's probably just less extreme than actually yeah in yourself so for you know had a bad day at work come through the front door have a glass of wine you know have a bad you know often we find we find our own ways of um managing difficult situations as some of them are healthy some of them aren't and out of the non-healthy ones some of them are more socially acceptable than others yeah it's like stress eating isn't it things like that you know people will 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 eat when they're stressed Uh, i think i do that actually i think think everyone does people do don't they and it's it's go back i don't think i know 
We haven't even got we haven't got enough time today to discuss it all. But as you said there, but it's it's easy to go into a shop and spend ten pounds on three bags three bags full of absolute rubbish food, but that same ten pounds wouldn't get you half a bag of healthy food. You know, it is the thing of healthy food or healthy eating is is too costly for, for most people you know but that's a discussion but just touch on that they're making that a bit worse because they got that 50% off thing now haven't they for is it Monday Tuesday Wednesday but McDonald's and KFC have been thrown into that mix mm. well I, I'm not sure that you want to get me started on that topic no let's leave it let's let's leave. <laughs> no but that does that does amaze me like that we're, we're saying that we've been unhealthy in lockdown and then we're not helping it. Well, there's a lot of things we're not helping in lockdown. No, 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 no. It's not. There we go. Um, to- talking about it, um, have, has the business have, ha- let me try that again. Has the business have had to adapt during this period of time? Um, yeah, I mean, when we first, um, when it first hit, my main concern was whether we were actually going to survive because of the which I think was most business owners thought at some point um, but in different ways so for us not in terms of um, whether we would have um, enough of what we so obviously we're a service business as opposed to a product business so not in terms of whether the need for our service would go down but more in terms of how do we keep it alive because our business is a 365 day 24 hours a day business the staffed throughout that period of time um and obviously our our charging structure is based on our cost so yes um so we do have two elements to uh, the care leavers community. We've got a charity and a trading company. Um, one deals with the fun activities and the grant raising and all the nice therapeutic type um, based activities or just fun stuff. And the other stuff deals with the day-to-day, you know, roof overhead dealing with local authorities. Um, and costs for that are based on, um, you know, what it costs us to, to, to provide it. So obviously there needs to be an element with all businesses of profit, but we're not um, a typical profit-making company. We're, you know, overall we're a social enterprise and therefore our costs are based on what we pay our staff, which is real living wage, not agency wage. Um, so the original thoughts were, right, okay, what if the staffing levels do get as bad as some of the stuff that's on on the on the news out there how are we going to staff this because agency staff cost double um what our our normal staff um you know our 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 life coaches receive uh so there was that element of it and then it was like okay well what are we going to do about this so we kind of thought well we had some conversations with local authorities about kind of if we had to use agency staff could we do like a, a fair allocation of costs um, actually, we our amazing team have been fantastic, and we've not actually used one agency staff member throughout COVID. Um, and I think that just goes down to again that passion and motivation yeah. that this type of business you you're recruiting the right people um, based on their passion and drive, not what piece, pieces of paper they've got or letters after their name. Um, but we did make a decision to change the uh, way we charge financially. So we used to charge two weeks in arrears. Um, and we kind of, uh, we've moved to a model where we charge very much like rent or mortgage four weeks in advance. 
Yeah. What that enabled us to do is kind of have that kind of cash in bank, but it also meant that if there were any difficulties in terms of uh, kind of local authority invoicing, which was a potential, though we've not really seen that, um, but sometimes, you know, with, the, with the, the concerns about staffing levels, everyone could be hit by a staffing level, into, including a payroll uh, or an invoicing team. Um, so moving to that model um, has kind of given us a little bit more of a breather. Um, other than that, it's kind of been business as usual, but just with um, some changes. So we made uh, for two months, we had our management team work from home because the environment they usually work in is quite chaotic because it's a yeah. building with teenagers in it so uh we kind of put additional money into staffing to allow our management team to go and work from home to get through all the admin stuff and the backlog because obviously covid hit um they added an awful lot of administrative work which took mm. us away from our our kind of standard day-to-day work um other than that um we it's been uh, an interesting experience in loads of ways, but on a business level, I'd say that we're we're really fortunate. I've had some conversations with um, it's a conversation last week with people from the social enterprise index, and they kind of fed back how nice it was to talk to to a business that is being so positive about the future, um, where we've been, and the future moving forward. So, I guess I. Um, acknowledging we've had difficulties, but I'm grateful um, for where we're at. Yeah. With all of that, though, a lot of the times we chat to people, and it was, it's a big question we bring up a lot, mostly with the, the sports people, and that was the, the mental strength, mental toughness, and the the ability to kind of park the bad day. And with the, the job and the business that you guys are in, there must be lots of, you touched on earlier, bad days, bad hours, just because of the very nature of dealing with young, vulnerable people. So how do you deal with those bad days, bad minutes, bad hours? Um, How do you park them to the side and and still keep a a happy, smiley face and keep, keep your staff going when sometimes it's just, you know, crap? Um, I think, do you know what? It's one of those things that I think, um, and I, I often ponder about in, in kind of the business sector sometimes in, in life and life is um, yes, it is important to focus on the positives a hundred percent. But it's also important that, and I've learned because I, I can be sometimes seen as the eternal or, you know, eternal optimist, everything's going to be great. Um, and balance it with realism and also allowing yourself to what my friends once called sitting in the um, which is, you know, acknowledging where you're at. Um, and it is okay to say you're having a bad day. It is okay to um, to feel that. Now, you don't want to sit in it for too long or, or, or dwell on it. Um, but I think it's that, you know, being real. So there's being optimistic. Um, and then there's sometimes you can feel that, like there's enforced positivism going on. And I think that that can be quite damaging for people because it you know if thing it's that if you're having a bad day it's okay to say you're having a bad day don't be a mood hoover about it but um (laughs) that's one of my favorite sayings but um I don't see it as toughness because I think toughness is one of those things that I think can lead people to think that anything other than tough is weak 
Yeah. And um, so for me, it's about resilience and vulnerability. So my team have seen me cry on numerous occasions. They've seen me cry. They have seen me visual because I'm a very visual person. You can tell on my face how I am. I can't hide it. Um, and therefore, to, to try and hide something to that level, for me, is, would be disingenuous for me. So um, I protect people from stuff that would cause them great concern, but I also wouldn't hide stuff that they need to, that, you know, could be relevant for them. Yeah. Um, and I think we create an environment where people learn that vulnerability is, 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 uh, is a strength. Um, you can't work in this arena really and not be an, I'm an emotional person. Um, I'm a naturally emotional person. Um, I'm quite good at logic and rational as well, but it's something I've worked on, but you know, it's the emotional side of things is why I do what I want to do. You know, I can't bear the thought of, you know, children and living in environments that, are you know are not safe there and you know that that aren't kind that aren't nice and I think that that has created who I am I'm an emotional person um I my team will know from the look on my face if it's been a really bad day and they'll see that um and I think that sharing it sometimes in an appro- at an appropriate level allows people to not think that they're they're superhuman that person's superhuman. That's, you know, because I think if we all go around acting like we're superhuman, that makes, can make other people feel like they're less than, or that I can't run a business. I couldn't do that because I haven't got that. You know, we see it a lot, don't we? That, um, you know, people who get up at six o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. I am one of those people, people that do yoga. I'm also one of those people but you know, I'm also one of those people that some days eat chips on the sofa and I haven't put a brush through my hair all day. And guess what? I didn't make it to the gym three times this week. Yeah. Because I think it's about that balance between yeah. portraying the perfect and portraying the reality, which is some weeks you've got your stuff together and every, your, you know, the context around your life is allowing you to get up at six o'clock in the morning and do your yoga and eat your salmon and and all that. And some weeks are generally just, if I've made it through today and I'm still breathing, then it's a success. And I think, so that, that's the kind, that's, that's what works for me. And I kind of trying to support the team to have that, those open and honest conversations, because, you know, we also work in an environment with kids that can see right through you if you're, if you're not being honest. So if we're not being honest with each other, we probably don't stand a good chance of getting things right with them. I think you brought that up earlier on about them, the young adults being able to see right through you. So it's almost sounds like it's a thing of saying, do you know what, which is coming out now with COVID, it's okay not to be okay. If you're not normal, if you don't have a bad day, because not everything goes correct all of the time in the real world. And it's okay to have those down days, but just, you know, you have to be able to, to get through them. And, and if you need a bar of chocolate or some chips or whatever it may be to get through it, have that because... You know, you know, sometimes it's okay. it's balance, isn't it? Yeah, if we do absolutely. things all the time that are unhealthy, then it becomes unhealthy patterns. And I think it's if we're, you know, nobody wants a moaning myrtle that's coming in all day, do they? You know, like I say, nobody wants a moon yeah. But then you do, you know, you want that kind of realism. And we often have banter. We turn 
and it's quite common in the social and healthcare sectors. You turn things that would make other people's you know brains explode. You try and turn it into something that you can have some warmth and and laughter over. Um, you know those days that go so wrong that you think I just should have stayed in bed. It's trying to find that way to to laugh about the fact that it's been that bad you know and we do get those days where you I'm looking up and I'm going really universe just just one day please and it tends to be my friends that I do um that stuff so I do the real oh my god you know tears um ranting uh blue language with my friends that get it often business owners that you know because they really do get it um and then, like, in, by the time I've got to that bit at work and seen my team, I've managed to get that, like, it's like that emotional purge out there, the irrational chimp part of your brain that just feels like being smashed in the face with a breeze block by the universe. That's done. So when you go in, you just look like you're having a bit of a bad day, whereas your poor friends just had, you know, 15-minute rant about how the universe hates you and you want to go backpacking around the world. I'm not sure. Sometimes that we're, you know, near near the end now we come to and say, give us some highs and lows, um, you know, of your journey and stuff like that. But I'm not sure if we've talked about so many kind of, you know, the world, you know, if it's a bad place and we're having bad days, should we just go straight and sort of give us some some high points, you know, on the journey so far? And if you're allowed to, you know, um don't don't name names and that, but even some funny, funny stories to to lighten the mood. I mean, you know, the social care sector, like you just said, it's going to have the, and running a business is going to have bad days. But, you know, working with teenagers is honestly one of the best things I've ever done because, you know, um, so recently one of uh, one of our fabric kids, is, uh, old fabric kids has been on the BBC um, doing, uh, she fed back into an article on uh how, you know care leavers uh the the difficulties they experience she's like all of our fab kids and a fantastic person she's done incredibly well in her kind of um move from where she was and, until the future um but and i'm sure no she wouldn't mind me saying this but i still remember the day where I'm sat in my office having my breakfast because uh, because they hadn't come down to go and do something that they'd agreed to do at the right time. Um, typical teenagers, but there's lessons that we all, all of our parents forced us to learn. And when I refused to take them because I had another meeting coming up and they were late, um, I got called an effing <laughs> lazy, another expletive that I won't say on um, video. Um for eating my for eating my breakfast and not doing my job, um, and at the time it was really you know what it wasn't the best day we weren't having the best day, but afterwards it just became it's become this real um, warm banter that her and I have over the development of her as a person from frankly losing shit over over me eating a bagel. Um, and taking no accountability for the fact she was an hour late to us sitting having coffee doing university applications together and her donating clothes for our um, for our current kids. So, you know, you have 
real banter and we do and, and banter is the key so it, for us it, as an office we are often posting silly things that staff members are doing like TikToks and um you know all sorts because it is what gets you through and those yeah. kind of the high, you have different types of highs you have highs in terms of seeing the changes that yeah. can be made from creating the right environment with the kids so those, those are you know those are always going to be the the best things you can win as many awards as you want but the 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 kids that come back to you and say you know it was the first time I ever felt loved I mean you can't put a price on that Carlsberg made you know feelings that that would be the top of them um and then you have the kind of highs for staff when we do things like win awards um and so one of the (laughs) The funniest moments we've probably had is at an awards do. So you uh, in, you go in business from some crazy environments where you spend most of your days walking around in jeans and Dr. Martens, being very, very true to who you are. And then occasionally you have to go um, to events where you have to put on posh frocks and people are walking around in penguin suits. And um, we were at uh, the Wales Startup Awards the other year um and we'd won the year before um and this the following year um an absolutely amazing social enterprise won the category and I'd popped out to the toilet and as I walked back into the room I heard regional startup of the year fabric and I was like what's going on because like our category we didn't win and little did I know that they decided to put us in for the regional award and as I tottered up to the stage because I had about six inch heels on. I don't wear them very often, but if I wear heels, I wear big heels. And I was so surprised and taken aback by it because I hadn't seen the lead up that I just walked in as they announced our name, that my lovely friend, uh, Dylan Jones-Evans, who runs the awards, I turned over him and basically called him a very big expletive. But sat next to him was Alan Cairns, Secretary of State for Wales at the time. And it was his eye I caught. <laughs> so whilst accepting an award that I had to be helped onto stage with because I could barely walk in my heels, I uh, was quite offensive to uh, Secretary of State for Wales. And that's something we still laugh about now, um, many <laughs> years later, that, um, yeah, I made that little boo-boo. But, you know, we all do these things. It happens. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Uh, yeah, thing. Those things happen, don't they? Uh, not that it, not that it really bothers me because I'm one to find the funny and everything. But yeah, it's um, it was it was quite the joke for the rest of the evening. <laughs> That's good. So, what's next for you, Harry and Fabric? Um, what's next for us? Well, obviously, I'm, I mentioned that we're looking at potentials for. Is there anything we can do to help those care leavers that are post 18? Um, at the moment, we're looking at, um, you know, we know our model works. So we, you know, we started in Swansea, we've replicated into Neath, and our next um, bit is, well, what other local authorities would benefit from us? Because our, our kind of overall vision is to um, is to support the development of a of a million care leavers and you know that's a big number i was probably um in my creative brain when i came up with that million sounds great um 
um, but that's going to take a lot of work. Um, and we won't achieve that just through uh, the, the provision of accommodation. There's a lot of other bits that we do in terms of lobbying for, for political change around um, issues that affect carers. So we uh, we were part of the campaign that uh, in Wales that meant that carers don't pay council tax now. Um, but one of the things that we would like to do is, is see a model that we know works and it works well in Swansea and Neath, and it could work well in any local authority across the UK. So we're kind of looking at how do we um, grow that. So I've recently just finished a, a fantastic course with Goldman Sachs, um, 10,000 small businesses. So anyone listening that's uh, in need of a business course, they should definitely have um, have a look at that one. Um, and that's all about growing your business and getting your yeah. business to that point where um, it can grow successfully, but also where it doesn't grow at the business owner's detriment. Because I think that's to date one of the things, you know, you commented on here, how do you do all that? It's usually been by, you know, having an epically poor work-life balance, mm-hmm. Um which is something I've been working on a lot over the last 12 months. Um, so I would really, really like to see us grow and help because that's going to do that feel good bit for me, that bit, that, that you know, intrinsic thing in me that wants to leave the world a better place than I came into it. Um, but how do we achieve that in a way that will be healthy for me um and allow me to have a uh, you know a better work-life balance so it's probably going to be hopefully through the fantastic team at the moment we've got an absolutely incredible team that we've built up over the last 12 months we've had some great promotions recently um so it's going to be that um thing that i think most business owners want but at the same time are really scared of it's like delegating things um and letting go of your baby um and I think that's something I've been working on so but I'm getting when I can see the 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 rewards that are coming with letting go of stuff um and I feel you know it's same for us adults isn't it it's that trust yeah you know you have to trust in people and you have to have the right people that you can really trust in to know that when you're letting go of something it's going the right way. Um, and I think that, you know, that we're in a really fortunate position um, in the last 12 months that we've got some incredibly talented staff members that are share the crazy Harry vibe, I guess, about the passion and the commitment. Um, so I know that I can start doing that. If we're yeah. going to grow, I can I can start letting things of my baby go. Perfect. That's really, really, really good. Your Watch this space. Your chips are going to go really cold out in the doorstep now, so we we better let you go now. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I'll have to go and see what see see what's out there. I mean, probably it isn't chips. I wish it was. To be honest with you, I need to do a food job. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Harry. Great. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Harry, thanks for taking the time to chat to us today. It was really, really enjoyable. And your first first podcast is now done. Well done. No, really, really enjoyable chatting to you. Head over to the website, www.sanfp.co.uk to learn more about us and our journey. That's it for this episode. Next, we're talking all things TV, radio, agencies, and of course, his interest, sport, sport, and pubs. That's with Geraint Hardy. You can hear that wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, don't forget to click subscribe to get all the latest episodes as soon as they arrive. Plus, Don't forget to listen to our new Chats at the Bar series every Tuesday for a short insight into business, money, finance, aspirations, dreams and planning. Also, 
If you're enjoying the series, please do leave us some feedback with a quick review as it helps us grow and ensure we are giving our audience the best experience. Until next time, thanks for listening. (laughs) 